welcome to my show. Um, today Hi, we are going to be talking about what Stewie here calls fool's gold. I think that's cool. Fool's gold, which are the properties that seem like they're good, but, or I would probably call that a porn star. Wow. Like they seem like they're good. They look like they're good, but they're not really. <laughs> you always take it to that level, don't you, Isa? <laughs> I don't mean to. It's just, that's how I describe things. You know, yeah. like I call, I, I name certain desserts, porn star desserts, because they look good, they don't taste good. <laughs> these properties they look good they seem good but are they really and what lenders kind of think about them so for those of you that don't know us my main man here stew dog or stewart from sgb finance finance guru been in the game for like 20 plus years and has worked with me and groomed me in the finance game was influential on my finance journey for many years, he and I and then worked together for me. like, and then I left you to broaden my horizons, <laughs> yeah. to try more tasty uh, yeah. properties. <laughs> there she goes again. There. there she goes again. Oh dear. Anyway, and uh, for those of you that don't know me, I'm Isa Kanja and I am a avid property investor and have been in the property game and finance game now for um, 18 odd years. So there you go. Very good. All right. Doggy, fool's gold. Yeah. What is this? Explain well, a bit more. We were talking a little bit, we were talking the other day a little bit about properties that uh, people buy and or people are interested in and maybe they come excited to, about. I excited think about, yeah. I, I've mm. got this great new property. We see that all the time. We've got this great new property and they present yeah. the property to us. And <clears throat> we can see why they're excited about that. But knowing lender policies and how that's going to fit with lenders can really. Uh, marginalize how we can fund that and then uh, I remember you saying to me that the um, you know the market selling on afterwards can be an issue so how did you see that one either yeah so well let's to give some people some clarity let's talk about what kind of properties these things are that we're talking about because uh, one of the advantages I've had as a property investor is the fact that I've worked in the finance industry I've worked um, as a mortgage assessor, I've worked as a mortgage insurer. I've oh, those worked dirty as a mortgage insurer. I, I know, I was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> the dark time, one of those dirty, dirty mortgage insurers. <laughs> Anyone, any brokers, et cetera, just, yeah, they're dirty at mortgage insurers for those of you that don't know. <laughs> um, and I've been a finance broker. So I've literally done the loops in, in the finance world. And with each loop, I've had to look at the property or the loan application from a different angle. So the advantage I've had as a property investor is that I've been able to see things from all those kind of different angles. Um, and some things present really well on paper to investors as a seemingly good investment, but they don't translate when it comes to them applying for the finance for it when it, with regards to loans. And there are some key reasons for it. But before we go into the reasons, let's talk about what kind of properties these are. Yeah. So typically you've got holiday let property. Holiday let's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, because um, a holiday let's are tempting because A, they're often beautiful properties. B, they seemingly on the surface can get you some really good income and how many times have you heard the oh and we could sneak a week or two per year you know for ourselves as well and that's attractive and that is attractive um and i'm going to separate the holiday let from things like 
Airbnb. Yes. Because Airbnb, I feel like, is almost a category all on its own. Certainly has become like, that, yeah. It's, it's a disruptor in the holiday let industry. Um, yeah, so it's completely, I feel like it's its own category. Mm. Agreed. And then there are things like student accommodation. Yes. Um, seemingly <laughs> affordable apartments, but within a CBD. Yeah, yeah that, so people are like, oh, my God, but it's in the CBD. Yeah. That four-kilometer ring, I think you were, you were telling me about yes. some time ago, the four-kilometer ring, and it's, it's got yes. that attractive low price to it. It's got a, an okay rent, and you're thinking, yeah, that seems affordable, but then what do the banks think about that? So Yes, the we'll... rent, that's a good and, – and what's tempting for them is because you could get really good rent being, you know, in a CBD, et cetera, but yeah. how does that really translate? <clears throat> yeah. um, acreage? Acreage is definitely an issue and uh, uh, there's some distinctions there that we could talk about with uh, the distinction of rural versus rural residential. So that can yeah. really make a massive difference to how do you finance it. Yeah. And, and I'm going to take that a little bit. Yeah. And then I'm going to take that even further now. Um, so we were talking about acreage, mixed use properties. Oh, don't burn my right. brain. <laughs> I know, like a shop front, but with a house or an apartment mm. attached to it. Yep. That kind of thing. Um, or an office and, and you know, yep. a full apartment attached. So then there's the breakdown. Is that commercial or is it residential? And some lenders will say, right. um, what's the percentage? And other lenders just go, forget it, it's commercial. So there's really something to look at. But on the, as an investor, you're like, but I could get like such good rent from the commercial property plus my home attached to it as well. I've got a big yield yeah. and I could live upstairs, something like that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And that yield from downstairs could pay for the whole property. And, you know, it, you, you go into this, so seemingly on the surface, it looks really good. These are like, like I said, the sexy, you know, these temptress type investments. And then there's other things like um, dual occupancy properties. Yeah. So two incomes. Yeah. Now, very different to dual key properties, which we'll, we'll separate and we'll go through bit by bit. So there's all these seemingly sexy, sexy, sexy deals, properties, whatever you want to call them. And why are Stuart and I saying, but they are of concern. They are porn stars. Be careful of them. Why? <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's run into a couple real quick. Um, so the smaller apartments in, uh, you know, in inner cities and, you know, the, 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 the suburbs that ring the inner cities is often they can be below 50 square metres and there's the distinction of one bedroom versus, uh, you know, um, bed sit as well. And bed sits can sometimes be okay. I've heard banks break down their policies and their properties like, um, is there a door between the bedroom and the rest of the living room? And mm. if there is, is that a one beddy? Is it not a one beddy? Is so, it a studio? Yeah. Is it a studio? And then if it's a studio, we're not doing it. If it's a one beddy, we've even had, conversations where we've broken right down into well wait there is a door between the bedroom and the living room so therefore it's a one beddy so we're out of the studio but it's too small so a big a big line in this area is 50 square meters if it's below 50 square meters it's starting and and again we're talking about 50 square meters living space that's not car yeah. parks and that's not and balconies. not balconies yeah yeah, yeah. so they even so break it down to things like that yeah, so you can go into so many ins and outs with different lenders as to what's acceptable, what's not. But 
if I were to give you a golden tick, like a, a key point for people out there, 50 square meters. If it's yep. below 50 square meters, um, it's not, it may not actually be a great investment. Now, I'm not saying that it won't give you good yield. Yeah, I'm the reason why I'm saying it may not be a good investment is because you can't borrow as much against that property. Yep. So if you can't borrow as much, it means you have to put more money in, more cash in. So if it's a $500,000 property, if you're lucky, and I do mean if you're lucky, um, lend and the property is 49 square meters, as an example, lenders won't lend you $450,000 like they will with other properties. They'll lend you a maximum of maybe, maybe, and I do say maybe, $400,000 being 80%. Some lenders will say less. Some lenders will say 70% or less. So now, instead of having to put, I know there's extra costs, but instead of a deposit of $50,000 plus costs, you now need $100,000 plus costs. So why is that not a great investment? Yes, you could still get really good yields. Yes, you might be able to rent that property for you know $520 a week rent. Yeah. However, you had to put a hundred grand into that to make potentially $520 a week minus the costs of the loan, et cetera. You may actually only be making $10 a week. So is that, you know, how long before you make back your hundred grand plus costs? And you've right? burnt up a lot of your capital and therefore, you know, you can't get another asset there going or how long do you have to wait to get to this? Or you've burnt up some time to get some equity That's back, right. all that sort of thing. Yeah. And so, yeah then you, or you could be using that hundred grand could be two properties for you. Exactly. Instead yeah. of, in, in, instead of one. So that's why you got to check, you know, is it a good investment or not? Not that it's not a great property, but it, you got to kind of get real about these kind of things. And that's what we're here to do is give you that sort of inside scoop. The other thing, Doggy, is um, sometimes it's not just square meterage. Sometimes the square meterage is fine, but if you're within that 4K um, ring of a CBD, some lenders will restrict, and if it's not the lenders, it's the mortgage insurers. If the property is more, if the building that the property is in has more than four levels or more yeah. than, um, I think it's more than 30 units within the one building as well. So because of these lending restrictions, what it means is lenders will lend less. You have to put in more cash. If you're putting in more cash, it means that your on-sale audience um, yeah. is limited as well because maybe not as many people want to put that much cash in, right? Yeah, exactly. You're coming from your and old then, uh, lenders, mortgage insurer, dirty attitudes there. That's called high density. High density apartments I, exactly. over certain limits. They don't want to. And actually some lenders will say, we've got over 10% of that building, exposure to that building, so we're not taking any more. And you'd be surprised how quickly that gets taken up. Yeah. yeah. And then, the, so if if that is the case and it's harder to borrow against it's not just hard for you to borrow against it's hard for other people to borrow against yep. thus the audience that could you could potentially on sell that property to is limited thus what that could do is actually stunt the growth of your property as well because there's yep. not as many people able to purchase that property i kind i hope that kind of makes sense makes sense to me yeah yeah so what else are some of those that fool's gold or porn star type property that we were talking about and how do we get around it or have you had any any stories I do but you might have some I, I was thinking of the old Airbnb thing we get that a lot um, and yes. for, for about sort of 10 years or so I guess as that disruptor thing came in 
Um, you know, early on in the Airbnb thing, people were coming to us and saying, I really want to buy this property and I can get, oh, and you know what's common at the moment is they'll buy the house, live in the house and rent out the granny flat at the back under Airbnb. Yes. Now that's working relatively successfully these days. Um, I'm as seeing, it's become more of a norm. Right, right. And as lenders yeah. have said, let's jump in and let's, um, let's be okay with that. Um, I'm seeing where they'll take one year's tax returns with the rent showing on the person's tax returns as acceptable. And then they'll take 80% of that like they would any normal property. So that's quite mm. strong. Um, but in but the would past, they go above 80%? Because 80% is a magic number in lending. So, so sorry, you know, not, not lending. I mean, the, the amount of rent that they would take. They'll oh, take sorry. 80% of the rent, yeah. Um, okay, so yeah. Um, so that's, that's pretty normal these days. And so that was a standard type property versus um you know back in the day they when uh, airbnb kind of first came around it was like we're just not taking any income at all and therefore the property just wasn't affordable and so what yeah. we were doing a lot was saying to people you can well, buy hold on, let's you clarify. To put, yep it, when you say it wasn't affordable it's not on like it wasn't affordable in the eyes of the right. bank but on paper it would present a really a really affordable property with really strong income yeah and then we do the serviceability calculator according to policies didn't work because we weren't allowed mm. to use the income from there or minimal mm. income from there yeah so it was like a, a gap between reality versus the way the banks see it right? yeah yeah banks speak and, versus versus people speak absolutely yeah yeah so as finance people <clears throat> finance brokers or strategists we've had to sort of find a way for people to i guess um you know be like a marriage counselor between between <laughs> i call it a translator bank's view yeah, a, tra a translator, a translator between the bank's view of things and the reality of the situation and the numbers and how they would work. So I think I was telling you about a deal that I had um, that was brought to me. And this is when the Airbnb thing wasn't, it wasn't as well known now, you know, uh, then. Or it was well known, but it wasn't as accepted in, yeah. in the finance world. And one, And there are still some lenders that don't fully accept it. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's plenty of lenders who are not very open to it. Um, it's becoming much more acceptable these days in mainstream. I particularly... So do like, they need to show one year, though, dog? So uh, not in every bank. Uh, um, you'll even find some that will just take, like, a bank account over three months and they'll average it over three months. Uh, so say you ah, set up yourself... In, hmm, so say yourself, you set up, set up a separate bank account and you've got your Airbnb coming in here sorry, three-month statements of that, they'll just average it over those three months, and that's quite strong. Um, so, others take tax so, returns. So that's really good, like, particularly if you're doing it over peak season, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's get timing in our banking too. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but let's say you're buying somewhere that's currently Airbnb'd out, yeah, and you yeah. want to show, okay, evidence that the property is um, doing really well, with regards to rent, you, the, the hurdle that you'll have because you don't currently own it and you, thus you're not running the Airbnb, uh, yeah, the hurdle okay. you'll have is making sure that the current owners have a very clear, you know, back end in managing the Airbnb income Agreed. and almost that they manage it separately because some people just, you know, the Airbnb, like you said, their granny flat or their room or whatever, and that just goes into their normal bank account. You yeah. need it to be like completely separate to show... Otherwise, it can be a nightmare, right? It needs to be a very sort of separate transaction account managed from a separate transaction account for I it think, to be. I think that's a smart better idea. received. I think that's a yeah, smart idea. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah. Um, the next so one on, was sort on of, the thing that I, yeah. Um, oh, uh, the next one was sort of rural locations that we talked about, um, rural yes. and residential locations. Um, so, so there's this distinction in in a way the the local council will cut up the land. There's um, there's uh, you know if if it's a, a rural property. You, uh, it can actually um, present income, like it can actually, uh, you could raise sheep and sell sheep, you could grow yeah. trees and, and sell, you know, peaches or whatever you're growing. Um, that can be a concern. Um, that's called a going concern, actually. And uh, lenders might say that it's, it's that's a commercial loan straight out. Um, even yeah. if it's just straight with a house and some large land around it, lots of lenders would cut that off at 100 acres or 100, yeah, sorry, 100 acres. And they might say, that's enough for us. We're not going any further than that. Um, yes. Rural residential and anything under 50 acres is just pretty much par for the course. And rural residential just means it's some acreage. It could be a little bit big, like 20, 25 acres, and it's got a house on it, but it's not doing anything with it. People are just living on it and enjoying the property. That's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty standard. Sort of a country home, really. Country home, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And... Um... Here's a good one. Here's a thing that I've had and I've come across was outside of Airbnb, holiday let um, yeah. properties. So an apartment, this is a real example, apartment uh, that I've had in both Port Douglas and in Harvey Bay, very touristy areas. Um, and I had apartments and the initial, and some of my clients had was doing the deal with me as well. The initial, I guess, um, what's it called? Apprehension that lenders had was the fact that these properties uh, are holiday let properties yeah. where they are managed in a pool, like a Quest apartment style thing, or, you know, people go there for short term stays, yeah, yeah. because they're very touristy areas. <laughs> and how do we get around that? Because typically speaking, lenders... Now, you tell me, actually, Doug, because you're more recent in it. Will they even accept that right now, holiday-let-style properties? Or is it a, a matter of how much they'll lend towards that straight-out holiday-style property? There are lots of limitations around those. Um, I generally say to people, stay away from them if they can, because, the, because of the on-sale type issue afterwards. And having said that, it has opened up a lot more in the last few years where, where lenders are saying, we'll look at it. And, you know, we, you and I have both had situations where we were able to release that property from the managed pool and therefore the property was just uh, long-term let or it could be long-term let. So we've released yeah, it so out of in, that pool situation. So you really, that's where you dive into the contract and of the management contract. Yeah, so my example, so I guess uh, I'll go back to my example. My, my direct question to you was, um, can you, under residential lending, get a holiday let property? And if so, is it just a limitation of LVR, loan-to-value ratio? It is somewhat the limitation of the LVR. You can even get some higher LVRs, but it's definitely a limitation of the rent that they would take for that for servicing purposes. So to take that back out of super bank speak, and say uh, if they're going to ex if this is all the rent that's coming in right now, they would only take eighty percent of that. Um, and that's as a standard type property. 
that if, if it was in a managed pool, they might say, okay, we'll average it over the year and only take 50 or 40% of that. So it, they can yeah. really cut you down. And therefore, people who may have been able to afford it before at an 80% rent can not afford it now at a 50% yeah. rent. So same, so, limiting your on-sale and it's limiting who can buy it right now as well. Yeah. So why did I go ahead with these properties at Harvey Bay and Port Douglas? And I'll tell yeah. you guys, right? So it was very different. So what we've been saying here, Stuart, it's very, very true. Yes, there are definitely some hurdles. The reason why I went ahead with these two properties um, without going into too much detail of the deal itself was because there was a high advantage in the deal and I was able to do those deals using no money in. That's a, another topic for another day, okay? So ahead of, like when you're putting less money in, you're ahead of the game already. Like yeah. you're, you're in games already. So that was one of the big driving factors. And the other reason why I agreed to do these two particular deals is because when you looked at the contracts of the property and the laws of the strata with regards to these properties, they could function fully as a permanent let property, property, potty, potty. <laughs> they could function fully as a permanent um, uh, let, long-term long let. let property. Yeah. Um, and they did not have to be a part of the pool at any time they could opt out of the pool. So when we presented that case to the lenders, that is when they found it acceptable to lend um, mm. the normal lending amount. Some lenders said we'll only lend 80%. Other lenders were, would lend the normal amounts because it was very clear that these properties were not a hotel. They had a kitchen, they had bathrooms, they were normal standard residential properties that just happened to be in a building where they could holiday let it if they wanted to. Um, but they weren't required to. So that was the the whole scenario. And if you are going to do holiday let, it is something that you need to look at very, very carefully. If you're going to buy holiday let, because like what Doggy said, you know, they may limit um, what income they'll take into account. But if you're allowed to get uh, around it the way I have done in the two deals that I mentioned, the two examples that I mentioned, then it could actually still work out to be a very good investment. You just need to be very aware that, you know, on the surface, lenders could actually just question it mm. at first and, and you're going to have to prove it. Something you, you know, want to dive into. So, yeah, something you want yeah. to dive into policies with your broker first up to make sure that you're actually with a lender or you're applying to a lender that is open to that kind of property first. Um, and then I think, you know, potentially it's a very strong deal as long as you can work with a lender who'll take that kind of a property. Do the, do the legwork yeah. first up with your broker and make sure your broker yeah. does the legwork too. That's right. Yeah. So once again, make your broker your best friend, your finance broker or your friends with benefits. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Is that ever going to get old? I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll see. <laughs> um, but that was good. Thank you. Is there anything so, you wanted to finish off with on that topic? I, I think I'm good with that. I just, just, it's really about check the security with your broker and your lender first and just get that Before you dive balls deep, right? Yeah. So, you know, get excited about the property. Say, hey, I've got this one. Go check with yeah. your broker. Don't be making offers. Don't be signing contracts. And then... You know, once you've actually cleared the policies and it, you don't actually have to make an application, but just get those things down first up. So we think we've got a decent chance of getting this property. Then, you know, go make an application, go make an offer. Yeah. I just remembered something that I think we do need to touch on uh, before we finish up. 
Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Because I mentioned it earlier on, the difference between, and, and because lenders look at it differently and it can get confusing, dual occupancy and dual key. Yeah, right. Are you yeah. going to say it or am I? You go. <laughs> okay. So dual key is usually in like a hotel type complex. Doesn't mean that it's necessarily used for that. You see that mm. a lot in, oh, what was that name you used before? Uh, Quest. Like Quest. Quest type yeah. yeah. So where there'll be one door in, but then there's two doors off that. And yeah. so if, if a family came in and they said, mum and dad want to stay in this one and the kiddies are going to stay in this one, they can walk through without having to walk into a corridor. Right. So, so it can be rented out like corridor. one three bedroom apartment. Right. Or they can be rented separately as one as one, one bedroom, bedroom apartment, one two bedroom apartment. Exactly mm. that. Yeah. And so therefore so, they could be split up on income and that's called a dual key. That's a dual key. Yeah. And that's like like I said, one of those porn stars, because you could get some awesome income from that. Yes. Yeah. Like well, actually one of my deals in Harvey Bay was exactly that. Right, it was actually dual key. You could get some brilliant income from renting them out separately. Now, you know, on the surface, that's really, really sexy. But once again, lenders may not consider that income. So it'd be a question of how much they lend you or how do they look at the income that you receive yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, uh, so the most simple way around that is to just permanently let, if you can, the two units. Yeah. That's what I did. So that's what we arranged to do in, in the Harvey Bay ones. Um, but that's not always a possibility. And yeah, uh, but that's something to look out for. In another point, so, in another uh, version of this, we actually talked about releasing equity. And, you know, if you had a lot, a lot of equity in this place, in your home, say, you might have two, three, four hundred thousand dollars worth mm. of equity, and you could release equity against your home to buy that property. So therefore, there's no. And still be a good investment. Sneaky yeah, good around. idea, good so idea. So there's sneaky ways around here and there. Oh, I don't even know if it's sneaky. I think it's just clever. <laughs> um, so tell me, now let's go on to dual occupancy. Now this is different. And I feel like this has actually become more acceptable in the last yes. few years. Because yes. it wasn't so much before. Basically what this is, is one seeming, one building often. Yeah, one building on one title, but it's actually two separate dwellings. Yeah, you see these a lot in suburbs where, um, you know, they want a higher occupancy of people in the area, but they don't necessarily... But low rise. Low rise, great word. Mm. And secondly, they want to just... Uh, it looks smaller blocks of land, but with bigger houses on them kind of thing. You see that a lot there. They're doing a lot of these in the southeast of Queensland at the moment. That's a large yeah. area where they're doing them. Um, but it's very acceptable as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, it's quite mm. common. I do a lot of these. Um, I, I finance a lot of these. Uh, my definition, my definition is usually, but not exactly, one roof but two doors or two entrances. So this yeah. is this two is usually yeah. yep, say a three to four bedroom house on this side, and this is usually a one to two bedroom uh, apartment or or um, apartment on this side, um, but it's all one roof, all under one roof. That's not yeah. an exact distinction. So but that's I actually it. think. I actually think this is not porn star. This is actually a really good investment I, because solid. it's become, yeah, it's, it's become very acceptable in the lending world, which is good. Um, but it's different, funny, it's a bit different in each state. So you've got to be careful with that because like in Queensland, the laws are, they have to be under the one roof for dual occupancy. In New South Wales, you could actually have two separate dwellings on one hmm. 
title and that be considered dual occupancy? And I'm actually, I haven't done one of them in a very long time. How would lenders look at that these days? Yeah, okay. So we're still getting them through. Um, the, the biggest problem I've had with those is self-managed super funds, actually. Now, that's a topic for a very long time away. But uh, yes. people really like these because they're a lot of income. Um, and they can have they can use their super money to purchase a, a duplex inside their uh, self-managed super fund. Won't go any further than that. But um, yeah, it, the the advantage of that is they can take a smaller loan. The income the income from the property covers it. Um, so just be super careful. Again, checking with your broker about is this an acceptable property outside um, outside small uh, self-managed super funds. They're quite acceptable these days. It's basically just like buying a standard house. Try yeah. to keep it under 80% where possible, but you will yeah. usually be able to go over that because yeah. it's a standard type investment. So in summary, porn star properties, properties under 50 square metres, holiday let properties that have to stay holiday let properties, student accommodation, yeah. porn star. Um, be careful with things that are probably commercial, but... Yeah, have a residential component to mixed it. use mixed, mixed use. use properties potentially yep. porn star yep. um and the um uh what should we call it the no oh, it'll come back to me non-porn star might seem like a porn star but actually good dual occupancy is the dual up, but not yeah. necessarily yeah not if it's two separate dwellings on the one time yeah just be super careful about the two we've yeah. had one i had that was one of my uh, nasty stories was we had we did an smsf uh people purchasing a self-managed super fund and we went to one lender and we believed it was going to be okay and they said oh yeah but it's one it's one roof so we're not doing it they actually yeah. wanted two roofs inside their self-managed super fund so we yeah, went to the yeah. next lender and it was all acceptable then. So that's, yeah. you know, that's going to get done. It depends on their, their viewpoint. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Those are some practical tips. So make sure that you are careful with regards to what you look at and what you get yourself into work with your finance broker before you actually commit to anything. Very powerful conversation. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah. See you later, guys. Bye.